Welcome to the Association OS Podcast, a show for C-level association execs about opportunities and strategies to serve members better. Design never happens by accident. This podcast is to help you design better member experiences and prepare for the future of your organization by expanding our shared knowledge and imagination of what's possible. My name is Brody Bond. I'm the Chief Creative Officer at Blue Ocean Ideas, a problem-solving creative agency that leads brand strategy, marketing execution, and technology transformation. Let's get to today's conversation. CEO of the Colorado Society of CPAs, one of my favorite people in the world, is on Association OS podcast. Welcome, Mary. Thank you, Brody, one of my favorite people in all things brand management, marketing, communications, IT, and just generally brilliant. Come on. Um, I, I, I've heard a line recently that says, all eloquence is borrowed, which is funny to, to share that type of quote. is kind of a recursive um, <laughs> self-referential quote. All, all eloquence is borrowed, but so is all joy and uh, insight anywhere. It's always all borrowed. But... Um, Thank you for being here, and you know what we're interested in talking about today is, is your perspective and experience in making member experiences great for your members and what we can learn from your uh, long tenure of service with COCPA um, and what you've learned by observing other associations to offer guidance and insight and perspective and ideas um, to anybody who's listening to this show. So we're going to go through a lot of topics today. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. But, but first, I would love um, for, for folks just to get a, a quick glimpse of you and your life and what's contributed to making you the creative leader powerhouse that you are. Where did, how did life, just maybe the very beginnings of life, where did you grow up is always the first question I like to ask. What was life like for you starting out? So I was born in Texas, uh, but very quickly ended up outside of New York City in Weston, Connecticut, about 50 miles from the Big Apple, uh, when my dad was transferred up there for work. And you can imagine that moving from the south into that kind of major metropolitan area opened up phenomenal opportunities for exposure to culture. It was typical uh, in my education experience that we made a trip every year at least once a year to New York City to see theater, go to art museums, even go to the opera. Uh, I got to pick and choose later on in life, thank goodness, and kept picking the theater. Uh, but it meant that we were exposed to a lot of culture. And then I went back to Texas to go to school, college in particular, um, and then came to Colorado in between my last two semesters of school and worked at the local summer stock theater in the office for two summers, uh, knowing Colorado was where I ultimately wanted to be. It, it is my home. I just took a few years to get here. Uh, Beautiful. I, I want to come back to that, but I also want to short, sh kind of shortcut my own uh, litany of questions here to just jump right to the chase of, can you connect for us your experience and your enjoyment of going to those cultural ex ex uh, experiences specifically theater maybe in those trips to the, the Big Apple when you were a kid um, to the work that you've done as the as the CEO of COCPA for so many years like how how did those experiences in your youth inform even what you're doing right now or planning to do, do, do in the future in your professional role if at all absolutely 
educated and informed. No question about that, Brody. I think back to all the things I got to do and appreciate and the opportunity to bring that kind of energy and creativity into the world of the CPA profession. Uh, you know, highly technical, very accurate, um, highly educated as well in subject matter that was not my place to play at all. However, they too want things that are creative and experiences that are interesting and opportunities to get outside their own technical space, whether it's visually or graphically or experientially. And so I think one of the, the benefits of that mix for me has been my creative juice is useful in adding um, flavor and perhaps even a little bit of spiciness sometimes to the things that we do. We're not limited to white paper, black print, and um, traditional models. We can spread out from there. You're a, you're a dramaturg. Is that, is that how you say that word, dramaturg? Is that right? <laughs> That is how you say the word. Not quite a dramaturg if you Google that word on the definition. Oh, uh -oh. But but it's it's the right idea for sure. Um, I will I'll Google that later and <laughs> edit this out if I need to. But um, so what so what what advice would you have for somebody that's in in your role as an association executive or CEO who doesn't have that um, specific life experience of engaging in the specific observation of other creative experience designs like how can how can somebody step into a, somebody with different experiences still benefit from the type of inspiration that you've received well it's simple actually surround right. yourself with the right people yeah you know that's one of the reasons why blue ocean ideas is part of our world because you enabled us to expand dramatically the access to creative work in lots of different ways. I was thinking about it overnight actually because when I was younger and went to lots and lots of annual events recognizing people being honored you know, for achievements in their careers, every single time the honoree would speak it would be all about I didn't really do anything, it, it's my team or it's the people with whom I work who've made all these things happen so successfully. And it's true. Put the right people around you and they help you put the right puzzle together. Um, that's that's insightful. So I'm gonna continue to short circuit, shortcut my, the, the interview cadence that I had set up here and ask you what what is that for, for you and what is that more broadly for other association execs? Like what, it, practically speaking, what does it mean in your context to have the right people around you? Like can you identify roles or personalities or skills that you think are specifically necessary or well-rounding or um, uh, relevant in the association world? Sure. And first it starts with figure out what you do really well and do that and what you need that you don't necessarily do well or don't like doing and find people who can do that. So I love the creative process. I love exploring ideas and brainstorming and thinking of unusual ways to do something perhaps pretty normal 
but in a different way or with a different twist. And I need people who can execute. I can execute too, but I really need people who can execute because that's what they love to do. So my colleagues uh, in my own team are a great example of that. Rebecca Campbell, my COO, is wonderful at getting things done and at making sure everybody else gets things done too so that we can move forward. Your team at Blue Ocean Ideas, I love working with, especially with Ariana, because when we are doing a publication, she brings both the technical skill in graphic design and also the creative eye so that if she gives me an idea and it's not quite what I have in mind, I can say, could you try this or this or take this approach? And she comes right back with it. Yeah. Well, and gives me choice. Yeah, that's great. So for, for groups, for associations who are working with partners, um, maybe specifically in the brand and marketing and creative function, what's worked, what's not worked? How could that be better for you? And how would you recommend that other people might consider doing something similarly? Every successful relationship I have had, business as well as personal for that matter, has been about finding a rhythm with the other person or the other team and being able to get to know each other well enough that we can speak the language easily and get into that space where it's easy to do even the tough stuff. It's all relationship for me. You need to have the technical skill set. No yeah. different from a CPA needing mm -hmm. to have the technical skill set. But that's baseline. Yeah. The relationship component is the part that makes it sing Yeah. or not. And I would imagine that could be characterized in a lot of ways, but maybe centrally around trust. Um, Tr and even trust in the skill and trust in the co-participation of whatever the endeavor is or the uh, creative aim is. Yes, um, and, and it's a, a shift, I think, too, Brody, from the perspective that if you didn't quite get it right the first time, it's not a personal criticism. It's yeah. a, we're not there yet. So let's keep at it to get there. Yeah. Is that hard for um, association execs, do you think, to step into those types of conversations or risks or um, knowledge of how to work around some of the creative and brand and marketing functions or not so much? I think it really depends on the people involved. It can be hard, especially if you're not quite sure what it is that you want and you're not particularly capable at articulating it. I think the complicating factor for an association executive is that you are working with paid staff people as well as with volunteers. And depending on how much more volunteer driven or staff driven your organization is, blending those two can be a little tricky or a little challenging on occasion. Volunteers always have wonderful ideas and staff Typically, you expect to be really good at execution and implementation, right? Uh, but sometimes that can just be challenging to navigate as you kind of figure out what skill sets are most useful 
and how can we engage people so they feel they're doing something meaningful and staying in the appropriate lane. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's go back. I, I, I uh, took us off the path of the narrative of how you got to where you are. You, you arrive in Colorado, this is home, and then and tell us tell us how you got from Texas to New York to Colorado to COCPA and what's been your story or path at COCPA specifically. So after that second summer at the Summerstock Theater, I knew I wanted to stay here rather than go back to where my parents lived outside of New York City because I knew I didn't want a job that would require me to commute every day into New York City. And there was not any kind of job opportunity in the small town in which we lived. So I needed to find a job and I started looking. I was really fortunate that the executive director of the Colorado Society of CPAs at the time, Gordon Shear, interviewed me. And it happened that I knew two CPAs as a result of the work I had done with them uh, at the theater. And they gave me great references. So it turned out later that both of those people I knew were personal friends of Gordon's and it was easy for them to say, hey, I'm sorry. As, as I said, I, my phone might ring. <laughs> it happens. Uh, I had an entree that was just meant to be and blind luck at the same time, I guess, is the way I would describe it. Uh, and he hired me to answer the phone. I was the receptionist. His assistant was going to be leaving the organization to get married and move out of state uh, about a year later. And so the opportunity came for me to move into that role and then into subsequent roles along the way. And in 1992, after I'd been with the society since 1974, I got the opportunity to be the CEO and chief janitor here at the Colorado Society. So since 1992, I've been working in what was then called executive director and now is president and CEO title-wise. The amount of change that you've had to witness, but also lead through has, I mean, from the, I mean, just in the last 10 years, it's crazy. From the last one year, it's crazy. Last 10 years, is insurmountable. But going back to 20, whatever years in, a, in that role, um, how, how, like, how have you done that? How have you maintained the footing, the navigated the number of times wholesale changes happen? Like, what is it that allows the versatility or the, I don't know if stamina is the right word. It's more like a flexibility, right? What's the, what is that in you that allows for that? Good genes. And I don't mean like Levi's. <laughs> I, I, you know, I really do ascribe to the belief that you're either flexible or you're not. You're either adaptable or you have to work at it. And it's always been fun for me to be able to be in lots of different situations and work with people on how to find different kinds of solutions. And every once in a while you have a smart moment where you think, I can imagine that this is going to be important down the road. So why don't we start now and see where it 
goes from there. Uh, I think about when you and your team came to Colorado in April of 2016. And over that weekend, we pulled out all the PCs and put in MacBook Pros and switched over to the G Suite approach to life. And we're still unusual in that way uh, because business in general still operates in a, a much different kind of environment technologically. But thank goodness we did because when we had to send everybody home. For COVID, you mean? Last March. Yeah. And say, yes, we'll be back when we're back, thinking, you know, it might be a few weeks. And you'll remember that at that point there was conversation, you know, it'll be okay by Easter and then it'll be okay by Memorial Day and maybe by Fourth of July. And now we don't even talk about when it'll be okay again. Everybody's working remotely and it was seamless. We had to put some other systems in place, but from a, a technology standpoint, all that worked. Well, I think about how we made yeah. that decision almost five yeah. years ago, which is a really long time. And, and how the right people were in the right place to help us do it. And we persevered. I think that's a big component. You'll hear lots and lots of people talk about, and you'll read a grit. lot about yeah. resilience <laughs> yep. and perseverance and grit. I, I feel sandy all the time <laughs> from a grit standpoint, because I think that really does make a difference in how people are coping in this time that's so uncertain. You, yeah, you, you mentioned no date, right? a couple minutes ago about how when you're talking about the, the the week where the big transition happened, where everything got ripped out and replaced with a cloud infrastructure and new devices for staff and all that stuff. Um, you mentioned that it was unique and still is unique. And I'm, I, that's always surprising to me to hear that any other way of working might be plausible in, in, any, in a different way um, because of how steeped in the way of working we all are like, you know, I'm steeped in that way of working that you are too. And to hear that that's possibly unique still is on one hand encouraging, like, it, you know, we can pat ourselves on the back, but on the other hand, just also curious to me that maybe not everybody's taken similar um, steps to, I, I don't even know what the right word would be, innovate, modernize, become more technically viable and secure. Um, how could... If an organization is wanting to do that but has not pulled the trigger on it, or they don't even, it's not even entered their scheme of imagination yet, what, how would you characterize um, the benefits of that change and, what, and, and how to go about pursuing that change? So first, I think I said unusual. Oh. Clearly we're not unique, um, but I appreciate you calling it unique. <laughs> it's unusual in the business environment. And I am reminded of an image that I heard years ago that I think fits. You can't grab the trapeze bar that's coming at you if you don't let go of the trapeze bar you're already holding. And I think that's been a lot of what we've dealt with, especially in the last year, 
those trapeze bars are coming at us. And if we just keep hanging on to the one that we are already holding, all we do is hang. Yeah. So to somebody who's still holding on, and they can't be blamed for that because it's, of course you hold on. What do you tell, what do you, how do you tell them to let go? Like, how do you encourage the letting go in, in the metaphor? That's a great question, Brody. I mean, I, I know how I explain it to myself when faced with similar decisions is, um, I mean, and it's just, an, it's just another metaphor, I guess, but I think of, um, if you want to, and this might be cheesy, I guess, but if you want to plant a seed, it has to be buried. It can't be held. And that, but that's just, that's the same thing you're saying, which is you have to let go of this one thing to grab the other one. But I guess maybe the question is one more of fear. Like how do you, with what promise or with what, um, risk mitigation, how do you, how do, how does, how, how could we encourage folks to deal with the fear, to do the letting go, to plant the seed, to grab the trapeze bar? What does that look like? I know other times, um, it, sometimes maybe you don't have an option and that, and that can be a luxury. <laughs> like you're coming off, <laughs> you're getting whacked with the next trapeze bar that you had to get held on, that you have to grab onto as it comes. But is there a reassurance of the letting go that you have had to do with even your own team through some transitional phases? I'll continue your imagery. Not only do you have to bury the seed, but if you want a tree, you do have to plant the seed. Yeah, right. And I remember so vividly being able to see the possibility. I was not uh, certain about how we would get there necessarily, but I knew we had smart people helping us mm. to figure that part out. And that if we didn't start, we would never have a tree, much less a forest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was critical to me. I knew it would be painful. I told people it would be painful. I knew that it would take way longer than anybody imagined or wanted it to be, but I didn't know how long. I knew that the uphill climb would be um, incredibly challenging and that some people would not make the journey. Yeah. All of those things I had to get comfortable with for myself because I also knew that I was forging a path that was the most risky for me and the most important for the organization ultimately and what was the worst that could happen you know you take the risk recognizing that you know most of what could go wrong but not necessarily everything and you also know that there is huge risk in doing nothing or staying there hanging right. on the bar. It's, it's right? a risk either way. Yeah. 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 So, There's a risk tolerance factor you have to pay attention to. You said two things that I want to just restate and then and ask a follow-up question about. One is, um, what, I, what I heard you say is, ultimately these changes are coming, or, and especially as you volitionally, volitionally step into these changes, you have to surround yourself with the right partners, people, and then the chips fall where they do, but at least you're doing it with people that you feel like you can trust, that you can help guide as much as they're helping to guide you, and we're gonna figure it out. And the 
letting go becomes easier when you have a greater faith in the spirit of we're going to figure this out. And you have a greater faith there if you're confident in the nature and character and skill and quality of the people around you. Uh, I just, I, 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 that's just such a powerful reminder. I think so much of what's real and true and about these types of topics, we all know. And, but really has to be experienced before we know it, know it, and experienced through the, um, through, has to be experienced through the experience of risk. Like, like not until you step through the door, are you actually through the door? Even if you know it's on the other side, the process of stepping through is still a thing. Um, but, and the second thing you said was, this was so interesting to me. You said that the greatest risk, and I forget exactly how you said it, Mary, but you said something like throughout all of this and acknowledging the risk and stepping into it and leading the change, the greatest risk was for me, I think you said, some, something like that. And I wouldn't, as you're saying, I'm like, yes, that makes sense, but I don't know if um, that would be so evident, not that it should be evident, but I, still, I can't imagine that that would be so evident to others in the moment. So especially as the leader, as the one who, you might be the only person in the world that knows that this is most risky for you. How are you bringing um, empathy to the table for yourself and giving yourself the permission to go do all this as you step into that, the, the type of leadership that demands so much risk? How would you coach, coach me through doing something similar? If you could, please, what is that? Well, How do you do it? You know, uh, we have a, a wonderful concert venue here that, of course, is shuttered at the moment. Uh, so on their marquee, it says four words, two lines. The first line says humankind, and the second line says be both. And I think that's a great way to think about it for yourself as well. Thank goodness grace exists in our world. I remember each step along the way having the conversation with myself called, if you are going to start down this path, you have to be willing to stick it out, no matter how hard it is. You don't get to just start it and then say, good luck, see you, bye. Although recognizing that somebody else might decide, yeah, that was a not so wise decision, so see you, Yeah, bye. yeah, yeah, right. I, I know but but really it's that again back to perseverance and grit yeah because i knew i was ripping the guts out and it would be ripping my own guts out too um, i was going to have to learn it just as everyone else was going to have to learn it and you'll remember you and i had a wonderful moment when you helped me buy my first iphone <laughs> Because I thought, all right, I, I got, I have to learn how to do these things. They are here. They're real. And maybe it's early adoption in some ways for a person like me. Uh, but the only way I'm going to find out is to adopt it. I, I remember being in that AT&T or Verizon store with you. And um, I remember being um, surprised by two things like it's one of those things where i don't have any apprehension at all with buy the phone do the thing you know i have apprehension about other similar similarly quote-unquote normal things for other people that wig me out or whatever um maybe unnecessarily but watching yeah watching you uh ex 
experience a type of apprehension and the courage in the moment of we're, we're doing this. Like you are not letting me off the hook. You are not letting yourself off the hook and you are not letting the salesman off the hook either. You, <laughs> um, you, we were doing it. And that's actually a very interesting vignette to capture the essence of what you're saying, which is even the most simple thing of going to the store and buying a little four inch object to hold in your hand brings risk to the to bear and requires fortitude and grace to everybody, including yourself, um, in, in the decision-making process. I, I just think that that's so well considered, so well said, and I'm wondering um, how we all might um, even have more conversations with, with, with our leadership teams, with ourselves, with our families, as we consider professional conversations, even with our families, about the amount of, I mean, you use the word grace, that's just behind it all, um and these books that it's it's funny like there's so much so much literature business um business i don't want to say cliche but just there's so much stuff out there about innovation which is so important and leadership and grit all these things are so important um and i'm just not i would be curious to see if there were more how to possibly have more conversations at leadership meetings at executive meetings at board meetings about the the role and the the potential chaos um, that grace invites us to uh, into uh, the risk and the, and the reward of it. Um, and it sounds like you've, we're never out of, it's never that anybody's ever out of the woods, I guess, but that you eventually while in the woods realize that that's still okay to be in the woods. Yeah. Humankind to be both yes. and especially to yourself because as anybody listening to this knows who is an association executive in any role in the leadership team, it's isolating and it's lonely sometimes. And there are not a lot of people you do talk to and not a lot of people you can talk to because not a lot of people really grasp the complexity and the facets of the jewel that is this work. Yeah. So it's really important, I think, to at least be self-aware about what that's like. And sometimes you won't take the risk. Yes, and that's okay too. And that's okay too. Yes, there you go. The same acceptance of the the same acceptance that allows you to not take the risk is 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 the same acceptance that allows you to take the risk and. Now let's go forth. The um, you're talking about the paths, or uh, the, everybody knows the Robert Frost poem. You take the road less traveled, and it made all the difference. There's a singer songwriter who um, wrote a song. His name is David Wilcox. He wrote a song. Said, "Start with the ending. It's the best way to begin." He, and and he muses on this song uh, in a you know singer songwriters can tell stories before they perform a song. So he has a record out where he's musing on this song before he performs it, and he talks about the Robert Frost poem. And he says that the, uh, the whole idea of picking the road less traveled is a trick of retrospect because you, you only ever pick the road that you do. And if you're in this moment of go left, go right, pick which, which road are you going to pick now? Well, the same, I think he even uses the word grace, maybe, if, if I remember correctly, the same grace that got you, that navigated all the other forks and all the other roads to get you to this place is the exact same grace that will help you navigate this one. So 
take a step. And I think that that's a poetic maybe way of articulating what you what you said. Um, and and thank you too for for speaking about the potential loneliness um, of those things. I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. Um, it's it's like uh, nobody will ever see all that is going on or all that I'm doing or all of the variables in play, nor can they. And darn it, I want them to because it would make, it would be it would be so meaningful. But I'm going to move forward no matter what. I I, I don't want them to see it all. Okay. So, so say more about that. Well, I think we all have those places in our lives where uh, how it feels in the moment isn't how it will feel. Mm. And one of the things that I talk with my 30-something-year-old son about is the constant recognition that life experience is not something you can jump levels. So if you think about the video game concept where, you know, you you get to go from level one to level six just because you mm -hmm. blew up the right, right. treasure chest, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and earned enough of the, the gems to keep you jumping higher and higher. It, it's a concept that a wonderful speaker expressed really eloquently um, one time years ago. The notion that, especially for young people, especially for those who have grown up in the current world mm. where that jumping levels experience is normal and earned in a gaming way, yeah. uh, you still have to go through the levels. Yeah. So at this stage in my career, I can point to plenty of examples of really difficult times that turned out great. And if you haven't had at least one of those, yeah. you don't have much ability to imagine yes. how is this really difficult time going to be great. Yes, it's not about getting thicker skin so much as it is about rehearsing an expanded imagination. Yes, and life experience gives you the practice. Come right? on. So I can be really confident that the really hard thing that we're getting through right now is going to be worth it, no matter what the outcome is. Right. Because we will have grown yes. as a result of the challenge and the hard work. The quote in my little uh, uh, daily quotes book this morning was something like, nothing changes if you don't change. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great um, way to think about COVID. You know, lots of people are talking about the fact that we have made what would be five, maybe even 10 years worth of advances mm -hmm. in less than 12 months right. because we had to. And the best example is no one in the traditional model of developing a vaccine yeah. would have said, we'll have it in nine months. You can have a baby. <laughs> You're not going to get a vaccine, yeah. right? And even the fastest vaccine ever took almost 10 years. And yet, here we are. And here, COCPA is as an innovating outfit as well. The um, I was exposed to this quote or, or quip just last week. What's in the way is the way. And I uh, I sat with that one for a little bit. But um, 
Hey, I want to, I want to, um, ask you some more questions about how this in, internal, um, journey, internal COCPA and internal to you, um, has manifested changes, innovation, improvements for members. Um, so for all this example of risk-taking, for the examples of the technology underpinnings of COCPA changing X number of years ago and continuing to change, um, what's, the, what's the so, like we, we love the journey, right? We love the theory of it. We love what it calls out of us and our teams. Um, what, where does it land? How does it affect members? Where have you seen that show up? Well, thanks to some of the technological changes, I won't say innovation so much, but things like the live chat feature on the website, we have high touch in a way that is completely different. I think the Colorado Society of CPAs would easily have been described as a high touch personal experience face to face. We really pride ourselves on that. Um, and that experience that you have with the team in face-to-face -face settings is signature. Does, in what way does, I know that's the heart and I know that's what happened. Is there, I know that's what happens. Um, so does technology, say again? Let me get, let, let me bridge. Yeah. The point being now in person is not the game unless it's, you know, live by video, right. whichever platform you happen to be using. And yet we are doing remarkable things for people from a technology perspective. We're not face to face. We're not bodies in a space anymore, except in really unusual circumstances. You know, I happen to bump into someone I recognize behind his mask at the grocery store, who's <laughs> a member, and that does happen occasionally. Oh, brilliant. Uh, but the technology platform has allowed us to continue to be the kind of um, problem solvers and solution finders and resource providers that we couldn't do without the technology that is in place now. Can you describe that? What is the, from a, from a high level view, what is the technology in place that's allowing you to do that so well? You mentioned live chat on the website. That seems like a pretty cool tool to assist this. What else, what else would you say that from a high level is in play that makes that all the more plausible? I think that's just a, a small example of all of the functionality that we have put in place. Much of it was already there, but we didn't have to leverage it essentially 100%. Yeah. And now we do. Being able to convert all of our education programming to virtual yeah. and being able to upgrade the platform and the system that we use to be able to offer it and have it work. Yeah. You know, in the early days before COVID and before this became the dominant method of delivering education, or any other kind of programming, the, the expectation was if you're in the room, 
the lights are going to work and the lunch is going to show up and the speaker's microphone, if the battery rolls or goes dead, they replace the battery, yeah. right? It's pretty straightforward. But in the early days of virtual, it, it was not good MTV. <laughs> you know, you couldn't count on whether the delivery truck in the parking lot of the hotel was going to roll over the long cord yeah. and blow your internet access. So you're talking now, about years ago. Well, not that long ago. You know, five years ago, yeah. it still could happen. Two years ago, it could still happen. And you still were at the mercy. And in fact, this week it happened on the East Coast, right? From what I, I read, Oh, right. there was a big, huge blackout and no one was able to figure out exactly what happened, but everything went down. Now we're dependent on that. Yeah. It's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs actually has Wi-Fi exactly. underpinning all of it. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, if you have Wi-Fi, <laughs> you're golden. And if not, you're... If not, it makes it a little bit more difficult, that's for sure. Uh, but I think about the four people, the four members I talked with yesterday, in between countless uh, Zoom meetings yeah. and Google Hangouts, one was calling because he wanted to know if the state of Colorado were going to be lockstep with the federal on forgiveness of PPP loans. And he said, I called you because I figure you know more than anybody else about what's really going on behind the scenes. This is an individual I have never talked with before. And yet, it was really helpful to him because I could tell him some things that actually haven't been in the mainstream media about what's going on internally here in Colorado just because I'm on all those Zoom meetings yeah. with people, right? And another needed help with getting her testing uh, date rescheduled for taking the CPA exam. Okay. And we have back-channel relationships with the right people. And a third was our own opportunity to apply for a PPP loan, and we were having trouble with the system, but we have existing relationships that we could leverage and people who we could call on who could take care of it for us and in your own team we have that same kind of support because when we have an issue that we need to address or we've had a whoops head knocker we should have put promotion out about a particular event and we somehow dropped that ball thank goodness it was a rubber one instead of a crystal ball uh, you know you've got a wonderful team of people who could say we can get this for you yeah we don't want to make that a, a common practice, but I think the point is that we've been able to shift what we depended on as our signature method of delivery of the member experience from a personal one in person to a personal one technology supported and still be able to deliver that signature experience. Yeah, scale, scale everything but relationships. Yes. That's good. What, um, so as you, 
I mean, COVID's been nuts for everybody. You've been in with, with the associate with the society for a very long time and as, as CEO for a very long time. What, let's look forward a little bit. Like, what's next and how are you preparing for what's next? So you, you told a story earlier about five years ago, total technology overhaul prepared for this moment. And nobody can predict the future, obviously. But what are you at least um, saying this is on the radar that we're considering and building around um, as it relates to changes in anything that affects your members right now or your team? I think what's next for us is the continuing search for more and more effective ways to make more and more available to people in the ways they want it. Uh, content expansion, lots more targeted and focused educational opportunities, and a way to to navigate what I expect is going to be a hybrid environment eventually, where we have signature experiences for people that are available in lots of different ways and keeping enough up to speed i guess if not ahead of how technology can help because what we know is that it's just going to get faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and faster right and this year has been a great example of that there were things that we had wanted to do before COVID that we just hadn't gotten around to, that COVID made us do. And so now it's, all right, what's still out there that we know we want to do? And I'm, I'm not trying to be um, coy about it at all. I, I don't know what that is yet because we're in the process of figuring that out. Uh, but where where do we go next? Because the profession is shifting dramatically and the expectations of the profession continue to shift dramatically and that urgency to do the right things well yeah doesn't go away i've i've often said in the past doing it well supersedes doing it fast i think that's changed now it's, you have to do it fast and well. So back to, you know, Mary making the decision to get an iPhone and give up her Blackberry or strap an Apple watch on her wrist so that she could keep in touch with everything that's going on. That's way basic in today's world. Now it's how do we have our feelers out broadly enough that we can be thinking about what do we need to be doing next? You know, I'd been hearing six years ago about the cloud and everybody, especially in the profession, was very nervous. You know, it's like it's not secure and it's not safe. And if you don't have your own servers in your own server room locked behind the door, you know, with your special air filters to keep them from getting too hot, uh, you're gonna crash and burn. Well, thank goodness we didn't ascribe to that. Yeah. And thank goodness we moved ahead. I, I don't know what the next thing is, Brody, but I know we're going to get hints of it. 
And in my mind, you have to stay tuned to the hints that you're getting. And sometimes it might only be one, or sometimes it might be the same one that you hear, you know, for several times. And I think those are bright spots too. I've said during this whole year, there's a lot we had to give up and a lot we had to walk away from, but there's a lot we got to gain as a result of letting go Yeah. again of the bar. So what are the bright spots or the little uh, moments of, hmm, I should, I should know more about that. I should check into that more. I should experiment a little bit and see what's happening about that. And, and create a little bit of space for doing it. I think that's part of grace as well. This has been such an intense time that it can be difficult to look up or pop out of the prairie dog hole to find out that, oh, that seed you buried, it's actually now sending out some new shoots yeah. that need to be tended. Do you try to make that known to members or is that is that necessarily behind the scenes and you wait for a, a modicum of fruition to make it known? Or do, do you feel like you have to position you, you and your staff and the association to be making it so clear to folks that, hey, we're, we're doing this work that you just described? I think there are associations that are much more effective at it than we are. I think about the archetype exercise that you did with us quite a while back now. Yeah. Um, and the, the notion that some people are warriors and some organizations are caretakers and some organizations are explorers right. uh, and the other nine uh, possibilities out there. We took the approach of let's be the lab, let's experiment a lot. And if it's transparent and we talk about it, great. And if it just produces a new, more effective result for members, that's fine too. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think there's a right answer for that. I think it's very much dependent on what your organization or your association is best at, yeah. and then use that as the launch pad for where do we send the rocket. Right. That's that's a that's a great reminder to, to realize that all all wisdom always comes out of and goes towards a particular context, and we we can't just apply the same patterns or rules in in every single place or situation, um, even though we might like to. So that, that's a great reminder. Um, and another one of grace, which says, if you're not doing it like this person, if you're not doing it like me, that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. Um, in fact, you might be doing it more right than I am because you're so in tune with your people, your members. And yeah, that's good. What advice yeah, do you have? I think that's, I think that's the, the, a major challenge, Brody, that Figuring out how to stay in tune yeah. with your community. And it's not just your member community, it's your team community too, particularly when we're so virtual and remote, mm -hmm. takes effort. 
that we didn't have to expend in the same way when we were all together and when we could see people not just through a camera on screen but actually feel them you know get their energy in comparison to just uh hearing the sound right it takes more effort now totally and it's worth it the basic question is what advice would you what advice would you have to to your younger self but the funny thing about that question is that any answer flies exactly in the face of everything that, we, that we've been talking about which is you wouldn't be able to give advice now to your younger self if your younger self had the advice and didn't go along the path that got you here where you would be able to give the advice. So it's a self, it's a self uh, refuting question in a way. Um, I guess I'm just wanting to know, knowing that other association executives might be listening to this and they'll be at various stages of their career. Um, I'm just wondering if you could sum up what you think matters the most um, specifically as it relates to serving members well. Because I know that's been the thrust of what you've been about personally, what COCPA has been about, and to the degree that different organizations have different personalities based on different skills. And you mentioned earlier different archetypes, like some take the role of hero and some take the role of explorer and some take the role of rebel and some take the role of caregiver. In you, for COCPA, what what wisdom and insight can you uniquely bring to that conversation of member experience um, that you think you've learned, and especially through this very trying time? So since people will only be listening to this, I know they can't see it, but I am going to hold it up so that you can see it. I have a little um, three by five index card sitting on my desk and I wrote on it a quote from Henry James be one upon whom nothing is lost and it comes from actually Casablanca the movie uh, it wasn't said there but the connection comes from there uh, there is a point very late in the movie when the um, gendarme, if you will, are coming into the bar and uh, trying to really, really rattle Mr. Bogart in his role. And you'll remember he's the um, host, right? And all this is beginning to crumble around him. He's in his wonderful white dinner jacket and his fabulous bow tie being appropriately um, detached and professional. And he happens to walk by one of the cocktail tables where a couple of people are seated. And somehow a, a very small liqueur glass had gotten knocked over. And he pauses and up, sets upright the little glass and keeps on going. And I love the idea of that because it ties with everything else we've talked about when it comes to people and the notion that we have to pay attention to all of it. It can be burdensome, the load can be heavy, but 
the, the idea of being someone on whom nothing is lost mm. means that you won't miss the things that really matter and they might be small things that have significance that moment in that scene was about to me everything can be chaotic it can be falling apart and yet you can still maintain a sense of place and make it possible for other people to feel that sense of place and uh, maybe not safety but at least um, there there is something certain even if it's just a small glass that has been set upright. By, by giving it attention, you are giving it dignity that would not yes. otherwise be seen, known, appreciated, except for the attention that you give it. It's like quantum theory. Things only exist if they're observed. Um, and I know that seems a little uh, woo-woo, perhaps. <laughs> only a little. <laughs> There's a technical term for you. Uh, but... I do think it matters way more than we realize because we get swept up so easily in the scurry and the work and the overwhelming sense of whatever, you know, these days, ambient anxiety about our health and about our families and about our work and our lives and are we going to be okay and when are we going to be okay and, and everything is uncertain. Yeah. Yet, there are certain things too. I'm sitting at my desk, I'm the only person in the office, and have been for the last 10 months plus, uh, looking outside, and the sky is still there. And some days, you know, the sky and the ground that I walk on may be the only really certain things, but we have anchors, and those ideas that we choose to pursue or those new efforts that we undertake can be buoys and anchors as well. They give us things to think about and explore while we are also doing the hard work, whatever that happens to be. So I guess if I were going to give myself advice back in the day, it would have been uh, create more spaces in between. You're going to have to do the work anyway. It's likely going to be hard anyway. The challenges are going to show up anyway. Or as you say, the, the rock that's in front of you is the way. So give yourself some room to be able to go out and walk in the yard if it needs to be that or last night here in Colorado it was beautifully snowing and I had to get from one place to the other but instead of being distracted by is everybody driving safely in the snow I just watched it as I made my way even that can be enough to refresh us because I think that's going to be the biggest challenge for all of us, especially in the association world, to find ways to refresh ourselves. Humankind. Be both. 
Um, I feel like we could talk for quite a bit longer and even tease out the implications of why watching Falling Snow for a moment may pay dividends in leading um, organizations that are designed to help lead professions um, and professionals. Um, but I think that those connections, making those connections might be best made personally as other people give themselves, as anybody who's listening to this would give ourselves the, the space to make those connections um, and, and, and tease those things out on our own. So Mary, I think your, your voice and insight is unique, um, not only for the, the, um, the amount of experience that you have in the space, but also uh, the things that you appreciate about what is important in this work, which is we all, we all, we all do our work in one way or another, professionally, personally, um, but even as it relates to associations. And I'm very thankful that you were willing to explore some of the ideas and if if they, if if the ideas weren't so um, grand, they could even be called tactical. Like what you're talking about is tactical things. If we want to see it that way, um, and so I appreciate that you were willing to go into those um, spaces vulnerably and lend, and lending your voice to that, to me, to anybody who'd be listening to this. And I just wanted to say thank you for that. Thank you for the opportunity, Brody. I should add that I have one more. Th- little note yeah. right here in front of me yeah it says mute button and that is tactical too <laughs> uh, let, let the record show that mary held up a sticky note with large letters on it um that says mute button we shall design our spaces and our spaces shall design us or, or some such thing so thank you so much. Thank you for being a part of this, this podcast episode. And I look forward to it next time we get to hang out. And um, hopefully we'll have a chance to, to do this again later. Well, and I look forward, Brody, to hearing the wise counsel of all the other people you talk with, because I can learn too. And I'm yes. looking forward to as much learning as possible. Yes. Thanks Beautiful. for the opportunity. Thank you, Mary. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode. The Association OS podcast is hosted by Blue Ocean Ideas. BOI leads brand strategy, marketing execution, and technology transformation for associations across the U.S. If you're interested in learning how BOI can help your professional association, visit our website, blueoceanideas.com, where you can find our phone number, email address, and live chat options to get in touch. Check the show notes for more details. Thanks for listening.